Welcome to the TFT Podcast. I'm Matt. That's Ryan. Hi, Ryan. I've been searching for a heart of gold. <laughs> if, you could, if, if you could read my mind, what a tale my thoughts could tell. Um, yeah. And so if you couldn't tell by the source of those, the, the disparate sources of those two uh, quotations from the lyrics, one to a disco song <laughs> and one um, to uh, a Neil Young song, we're actually going to talk about uh, Neil Young today. And we're going to focus on two albums. One is the classic uh, best-selling chart-topping record Harvest uh, from 1972, which is a classic Neil Young, and that my uh, my dad has a uh, has an LP of. He has it on vinyl, and I I you know grew up as I would kind of thumb or or you don't thumb through a vinyl as I would you know do the two-handed like page-turning gesture in uh, at the same time on both sides of his you know crate of of records. Uh, I would come across and and. And its uh, distinctive graphic design would always stand out to me. Uh, And the other one is A Letter Home, which is um, uh, the uh, album that Neil Young recorded at Third Man Records in the direct-to-vinyl recording booth you know, recording recording booth uh, thing. What's the name of that? What's the name of that? uh, uh, Oh... Yeah, I was looking for it as well. I believe it's the like Recordomatic. Yeah, some, it has um, some kind of marketing name like that, and uh, it's a it's a novelty thing. From, voiceograph. The oh. origi- the, yeah, it's, it's the the brand is the Voiceograph Automatic Voice Recorder. Oh, excellent! And uh, it is a it's a recording booth. It's about the size of a it's a novelty thing from the 30s or 40s, and you um, you step into a uh, uh, chamber the size a recording studio or recording room the size of about a phone booth and uh and there's a microphone in it and uh the apparatus records uh your voice or whatever you happen to get in there directly onto vinyl uh and you get a uh, little vinyl record at at the end of it and it was for i don't know arcades or fairs or something like that um in a in a time when it was unusual to hear the sound of your own voice, when recording to- technology hadn't penetrated, you know, into the mass market, uh, this was really a novelty at the time. Well, yeah, and let's. Um, I mean, it's really interesting. We'll put the, uh, the in the show notes um, a link to uh, a website that has a few um, advertisements for this technology from uh, the fifties, and uh, the main ad, one of the main ads uh, has a picture of a woman kind of looking almost in star or perplexed uh, and, and holding a phone and the, and the copy set reads like talking on the phone but a thousand times more thrilling exclamation point um, and the one um, you know the one the one that uh, that that they have I believe it says hear the sound of your own voice is what's written on the side of the one uh, that uh, that Jack White has um, that's uh, that is uh, at Third Man Records, um, and is featured on the cover of of a letter home. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, I, I I actually have a question. Well, so let's let's uh, before your question, if you have if you haven't listened to the oh, yes. uh, if you haven't listened to these records, oh I I'm sorry, I wanted to say one more thing. We're doing the double. We're pivoting yes. on this. We're doing the double album this week for a couple reasons. One, it seems to follow from. 
It seems to follow from our discussion of chromio and novelty music and our discussion of Jack White uh, and being analog in a digital world, the link to Jack White and the link to the sort of um, the persistent, the stubbornly persistent analogness uh, of this record recorded direct to vinyl, right, is a link. But then uh, Neil Young uh, provides also a link back to um, back to a historical quarter. So we are pivoting right. now from uh, from the winter quarter uh, or the spring quarter, rather, of new releases, where we have been uh, following what's been coming out. Um, you know, whatever Pitchfork writes about, that's what we podcast about. No, that's not. That's neither true nor fair. Uh, to back to the uh, history of popular music uh, in the 20th century. So we're going back to the early 70s. There's a little bit of overlap with what we did uh, before, but this is a different. Um, this is a different uh, sort of um, strain uh, of pop music. So Neil Young both provides continuity with the uh, with the uh, the quarter just ended, <laughs> and also provides a uh, a convenient enough way to pivot back to the the historical quarter. And so we thought we would take advantage of that. So if you haven't listened to both of these albums, Harvest and A Letter Home, they're on all the streaming services. You can listen to them now. Uh, before uh, and uh, come back, pause this recording, and we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Uh, this podcast third man records <laughs> come down to third man records in uh, in Nashville, Tennessee, for all all manner of recording novelties. Hear the sound of your own voice. Make a little figurine or a guitar. Third man records. It's real. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, yeah. For those who want some real country music, for the, yeah. <laughs> Come All on right, down to Nashville. All right, we're back. Uh, so let's let's launch in. What's your question, Ryan? So uh, I think this is a, this is a question um, that you know we've so. Uh, so my question is uh, prefaced by a long rambling preamble, as many of our questions are. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I, so we have a few different kinds of questions that we ask, and the, the one that I that um, struck me uh, to ask first is about um, a letter home, and and specifically, why is this? Is this a letter home, and in what ways is this a letter home? Right? What like so? What what does the um, title of this uh, this album tell us about what's going on here? Um, and and in the way that we you know kind of interrogated, um, you know, that we've had a few albums actually in our historical uh, quarter, uh, like Talking Book or Tapestry, that. Um, you know, uh, associate their the record, the album, with a different type of um, of of communication, and so um, I wanted to start by asking, what is uh, what is going on with a letter home as a, as a title? Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, so like. There are two parts to that question, I think. Mm-hmm. One is, what does it mean for for a record to be a letter, mm-hmm. right? And and again, like we've we've done this like in in excruciating detail um, about 
uh, record versus album, you know, and and sort of track versus song, and and what all this what all this means, right? Like, and um, so to say that like we have record, which is like the record of an event, and album, which is from the Latin word for white, signifying the white tablets on which uh, you know on which scribes would write in ancient Rome. Um, and and so denoting a sort of uh, a sort of arrangement of information or the kind of the physical medium on which information uh, is recorded, and I mean a letter. So a letter is is uh, is a communication with an intended recipient, right? Like that's that's I think rather than like an article um, or even like an open letter you know, or an right. essay or a pamphlet or something like that. A letter is a communication that is, that is meant for, um, that's meant for one person. It's kind of a channel. It's a, it's a mediating channel, uh, between a, a particular sender and a particular receiver. Right. Right. And, and the, the, um, the particular receiver in this case at the at the very beginning, like I couldn't tell if this was goofy or if it was over earnest or if it was I I mean or if there yes. was like the answer is yes <laughs> yeah or if there was like some some like thing that was too hip for me even to 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 be getting with the with the first track being this kind of like golly, hi mom yeah golly gosh gee willikers to uh to from neil young to his mother who is dead as as far as i i can yes. tell right yeah, okay. yeah yeah and i mean and that's even like you know and there's and there's several pieces of this is that she's telling he's telling um her to talk to his father who is also dead um and then later on says i'll be joining you eventually but not yet because i have more work to do uh-huh um which i'd love to talk about as well i mean i think there's a lot um there's uh, a I mean, there's a lot just in there before you even talk about talk about the song. So that's, I mean, that's the idea of of a letter. And so I, the, I, so I think we need to talk a little bit about reading other people's mail, right? Or or sort of a, a dichotomy between pi- private and public, right? That is right. that is sort of in Western thoughts in Western thought as, as far back as Western thought goes to like Herodotus and the story of Gyges and the, and the ring that makes you invisible, um, where he saw his wife boning some other dude. Right. And like, turns out it's not, uh, it's not great to be invisible because your wife is boning some other dude. Um, the, uh, the, the letter and, and to an idea of, I think this also ties in with, um, the idea of of hearing yourself, hearing your own mm-hmm. voice, the the amazingness of hearing your own voice, or overhearing. So, yeah. so let me let me launch into a tangent about well, Harold Bloom. Well, right? just before but before you do, um, <laughs> I, I, I want to say I, I think just kind of in 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 thinking about um, what this is, I think it's really interesting that when I li- after I listened to the intro a few times, on the one hand, like it's you could read it as him 
reading a letter or performing a spoken word interpretation of a letter. But what it sounded like to me was, um, you know, voicemails that I've gotten or, um, or, or uh, answering machine messages that I got from either my grandparents um, or sometimes my parents, right? Where you don't, um, where, where I definitely remember kind of older generations, um, especially more in the answering machine era in the like um, pre cell phone voicemail where it's like, you just, you just say you just leave the missed call. You don't leave the message. Or you say, "Hey, call me back." Um, and the much more the message that is this. So I was calling to say this, uh, and this is going on, and 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 that the conversation is just had, but with the machine. Um, and it's it's. It, it struck me as being like that, and 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 especially the ways in which this looks like a, um, you know, a um, a phone booth, and they're you know on the kind of basic edition of it uh, has a phone, um, and, and it's just the way that he is talking to his mom in that way, um, it seems like he's like you know that. He is envisioning this technology, this direct to record technology and this box, which he, you know, says, you know, allows me to talk to you. Um, as, as, you know, is viewing this like process, either record making in general or this kind of direct to vinyl record making as a, you know, um, you know, a, a answering machine. Uh, for you know, as heaven's answering machine, right? And the, as as somehow that you put it on vinyl and it becomes eternal, um, like like the souls of those who have passed to the other side, uh, or something like that. And so that it's it's um, you know it is that there there's a letter, but that there's already in the way that it is, um, you know, that in the slippage between a written letter and a recorded letter, it's really becoming something a little bit, a little bit different. Um, I don't know. I, that was just something that, um, uh, that this struck me as we were kind of talking about, um, the, you know, the way in which that piece is performed. Yeah. Uh, what, what were you going to say about well, Harold Bloom? Oh yeah, of course. I wouldn't never miss an opportunity to bring up Papa Bear on the, uh, uh, on the podcast. So Harold Bloom wrote a, wrote a, uh, a long book about Shakespeare with essays about each of Shakespeare's plays. Um, to, all organized around the idea that the thing about, um, the thing that was unique about Shakespeare, the kind of literary, the the unique invention, the sort of strong misreading that he, uh, uh, that made him so persuasive for all of English letters since, uh, to this day, is um, so persuasive and so influential, is the idea of uh, what he called self-overhearing, right? Mm-hmm. And... Um, mm-hmm. And this is, uh, and and I'll I'll get to why this kind of links up for me. But um, but I I was uh, in seminar. He he, you know, sat there, leaned back, unbuttoned his shirt three buttons as he was wont to do, reached in with his right hand to stroke his always aching left shoulder, put his arm on the 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 uh, back of the chair of the student sitting next to him, who was always a pretty brunette, uh, and said, "And my dears." Uh, and I'm I'm now doing his voice. And my dears, uh, John Hollander asked me on the phone 
the other day. What's the difference, Harold, between hearing yourself and overhearing yourself? And I prepared this essay in response, which I will read to you now, and produced from his his folder a sheaf of typewritten pages on which he he, he said that the difference between, um, he expounded at great length, uh, on the difference between hearing yourself and overhearing yourself. Overhearing yourself is hearing your own hearing yourself as though the communication were intended for someone else right or we're kind of like an unwitting self surveillance uh and i think that that like i think that that idea is in play here right that is to say the machine allows you to hear yourself but if you are and it's it's sort of miraculous and i think the kind of g willikers approach to the technology i think you're right on to peg it to like someone's grandparents leaving a voicemail where the technology is is sort of novel right and and they're not they don't totally have the social framework developed to cope with it right and they only operate by analogy that right. they, you know that they they but like based on what they analogize it to like can you we could probably group the ways in which you know um like grandparents and interface with voicemail or with other kinds of new technology or anybody just anyone who is you know older when a technology is introduced but if it's a letter you're not only hearing yourself you're overhearing yourself right so that you're you're not only kind of hearing yourself you're you're hearing a communication that's intended for someone else that's intended for your uh for your mom Right, who who is dead now? All that. So I, I, have, <laughs> I want to draw a, question, a long a circle, about, but I, I haven't question. even answered your first question yet. My God, the questions are coming. No, no, fast I've, I just have a follow up question about overhearing because uh, I, I um, you know, as a social sciences major, uh, did not um, get to uh, sit in that uh, in that seminar room. You uh, could, uh, none of, I, no I one mean, in political science uh, 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 had quite uh, either really the the you know the the kind of stature. Uh, uh, and, and level of renown, at least as active people um, of Harold Bloom, nor some of the uh, interesting idiosyncrasies. I never saw anyone, you know, produce a typewritten essay in response to a colleague, a question from a colleague. <laughs> uh, and so, um, I, I just to kind of think about this, uh, and and either in in as it was presented in his argument or in your understanding of um, of, of self overhearing uh, and overhearing yourself, um, it, you know. So I think an interesting thing is how much is this process. Um, how, like, how does this relate to intent and? Like cognition and planning and like and deliberateness in communication, right? So that what's interesting about um, so what's interesting about the things that you say when you communicate to others is that you, to a greater or lesser extent, choose your words and you you craft and curate what you're saying and maybe tailor it to the audience, tailor tailor it to a situation, um, and so what. I when I when I heard you describing um, self overhearing, my sense is so in some contexts that so there are some contexts in which oh, there's a lot of reflexive awareness, like in some ways in either high stakes or unfamiliar um, settings, there may be a lot of 
of um, awareness before there is um, uh, there, 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 anything is uttered, anything is written. Um, and so all of the awareness and the kind of uh, reflexivity happens up front of saying, who am I? What do I want to, who am I speaking to? Uh, what do I want to communicate or, or persuade them to do? Um, but then there are other types of communication where you are on more on autopilot and that you are, um, you know, uh, reenacting certain types of either socially, like socially defined scripts or kind of personal, you know, habitual modes of speaking. And it strikes me that that latter kind, the less kind of deliberate, less kind of uh, strategic, uh, is more where there are chances for uh, – uh, self overhearing, uh, in that it's the things that you always say, uh, and and that, that there's the and and how I understood it, but maybe this is not how it was meant. Um, was uh, is is a chance to then on on something that you didn't really think about saying, then a moment of awareness or or um, a glimmer of of recognition of. Um, of of what that is and as seen as uh, you know kind of made strange or made you know one step um away outside of the self uh, I, I mean uh, is that getting at, at something that's in the in the concept or is uh, is it take or is it or does the concept kind of encompass both of of these forms of of communication i i mean i would say both right that well or kind of i mean because you're talking about dramatic literature in the case of shakespeare in particular sure. there's the, i mean there's a particular device of the shakespearean Soliloquy, which I think is what a lot of mm-hmm. this Harold Bloom theoretical framework is is hung on, mm-hmm. right? And you you see it time and time again uh, in in the Shakespearean soliloquy, and and it's actually it's a real challenge in acting Shakespeare, and why a lot of untrained people, uh, why it takes training uh, to do Shakespeare, because it's like a specialized, uh, you know, it, it's really a specialized discipline, um, right? to 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 okay. do this you find in in the soliloquies that in the course of in the course of saying something um to themselves about themselves or kind of di- i mean there yeah. are different there are different uh ways of interpreting it like dialoguing with the audience in a self-conscious way um where where a lot of the turns in the speech are based on what you presume the what you're setting up the audience reactions to be uh i think a more interesting way to look at it is kind of like dialogue dialoguing with yourself with like the person in the mirror uh it it makes a lot of right. sense to me a lot of shakespeare monologue uh, soliloquies that way um that 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 a person will be surprised will be brought up short or taken aback by something that they yeah. Uh, yeah, that yeah, they yeah. say um there's a great bit in lear uh where um where the bastard says uh uh, he t- he's talking about his legitimate brother and is brought up short and says, that's a fine word, legitimate. Mm. Uh, and then, and then sort of launches into this, this tirade of, of pure evil that, that ends with now God stand up for bastards. Right. So, mm. so it's, I mean, mm. there are a couple of aspects to it. One is being surprised by something that you've said, um, so that your, your sort of interiority is a foreign country to you. The other mm. thing is that it's, it's actually the, the, the challenge and the challenging thing um, in in 
acting it is that in Shakespeare in, in specific, you're, you're having the thought and giving it voice at the same time. It's not like think, 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 right, think, right, 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 to right, be or right. not to be, that is the question. It's, it's actually happening in the present and the, the, yeah, yeah. the technique of acting it is actually to kind of live through this set of, of thoughts and intentions and, and changes and give it words at precisely the moment that it's coming out of you, which is yes. an interesting contrast to singing right because the songs are always this you know this isn't jazz and and you know what even jazz isn't jazz a lot of the time right like uh those incredible uh those incredible improvisations may be extemporaneous or maybe assembled extemporaneously but a lot of the times right like if you get to know the repertoire of a lot of or the the recordings of a lot of jazz musicians it, you hear stock riffs from the same people and by the way they've been practicing those riffs for hours and days and weeks and years uh in you know in their own practice and they're kind of they're kind of uh, assembling them in legos never mind uh we're not talking about jazz the the uh the practice in in rock music in pop music is that the song is written and you sing the song you know you sing the song that's written but I think that, like, I think that with Neil Young in particular, you have a, a real example of um, you have a real example of someone who's trying in in performing songs and and recording them in recording a performance, making a record of an event. Right? Um, he's trying to capture really capture a real experience or i mean i you, you can hear in the the amount of times that like really is coming up in my my attempt to uh explain this explain my thought right like uh the how it participates in the discourse of authenticity and of um uh, you know, real realness. He's he's trying to capture an experience. He's trying to capture a some kind of um, uh, you know, some kind of emotion uh, or something like that. And Even if he's capturing the experience of going in the restored uh, fifty to sixty year old recording booth uh, by a you know man in a pork pie hat yeah. uh, from Detroit who lives in Nashville. Right. <laughs> yeah, but sure. I mean, I I think that that like he. Was well, I mean, we can talk about that. Is that the point or is that, I don't know, is that kind of window dressing and the covers of the songs, there's something. Because I think there are like some really good performances that, however they record, were, would, would be recorded, would be really good performances of songs uh, on, on this covers record. And I, I have a little bit of, of like eye-rolly reaction to the, um, to the sort of means of its you know, means of its being product, produced. But I mean, I mean it's, it's, it's yeah. interesting just to stay on this though, because it's, it, this is actually another, you know, you, you drew connections to, uh, between this and, you know, our discussion of Lazaretto and our, um, earlier discussion of, um, of Chromio. But I think the other thing that it connects to was our last pivot point, right? Our hundredth episode, uh, all hail West Texas, right? Um, in that these are both albums that, um, in which, the uh that the recording technology um in the case of uh, of all hail west texas the uh panasonic tape recorder and in the case of this um you know the um uh, the, uh, the voiceograph, uh, you know, play or, or like do play a role in the sonics of the album, in that that you get textures and hum and um, and and uh, pops and compression. That ultimately, you know, that there is a um, 
you know that the technology uh, in this case, in both of these cases, is like another player on this. Um, sure, I mean the difference. The difference being that that it's a it's a technology of choice here, whereas for John Darnielle, you know, he didn't. You, you, the the tape recorder was the closest to a recording studio that he had. Right? Well, we talked about this a little bit. I mean, like he would, he sure would like you to believe that. <laughs> <laughs> um, at, at least in terms of the. Uh, um, yeah, uh, I, I think there is there is some truth. I mean, we talk about like there's this interesting idea of you know that the narratives around them are different, right? The narrative, as we talked about on All Hell Was Texas, is while well, he was writing these songs and was going for, and, and that a big piece of this was this immediacy of having the songs and them kind of flowing out out of him in one take onto the Panasonic, which was, was there, um, and a, a lot of, and in that gets repeated again and again in. Um, you know, in the press releases, in interviews, in the retrospectives. And the similar one, the quote that gets floated around about this is, quote, uh, this is on Neil Young's website, um, quote, an unheard collection of rediscovered songs from the past recorded on ancient electromechanical technology captures and unleashes the essence of something that could have been gone forever. Um, and so... Yeah, so I so in both I mean in both cases just to connect it to Shakespeare and soliloquy and kind of being being in the moment and the record of a moment. I mean the claim the the narrative the narrativization of both of these is that like these are the record of a particular ephemeral moment that could have just kind of, you know, petered out like a sound wave, you know? And yeah. and it's the it's the sort of the intervention, it's the intervention of the technology that allows us to you know that allows us to uh have it i mean i you know I yeah yeah know. no i think that's i think that's right i mean it reminds me of um i will put this in the show notes as well um there is a journalist went to third man records um and uh and recorded uh you discovered this uh or not, not discovered this but like you know like I guess before the trip uh, to Third Man had not really known fully what this thing was or that it opened to the public. So for fifteen dollars, you can go uh, in, in into the recorder booth and record um, a something, a, you know, a brief um, record. I think it's like you get one hundred forty-four seconds of recording time. Yeah, right. Um, and and there is this uh, thing where he he describes this process of like what could I what could I remember the chords and words to and and nail in. You know, do in one take, um, and and I think that that's this very interesting thing is that it does if you want to do this, like having this thing here. So on the one hand, like you say, it is a there is a matter of choice, um, but on the other hand, once you've chosen to do that, um, it also creates some sense of, uh, of urgency of you know what the arrangements are um the you know how many takes you can take uh because you know that you are um you know it, it, there's a lot of concerns i could imagine um you know, well a you can't really cut these together you can't um you know that i feel like these you know, I mean, obviously these these um, little pieces of clear vinyl that they use to record these on aren't um, entirely, you know, like rare. But it feels somehow more. It would be harder to you know just keep going, laying down, 
take after take, right? Like this, I just, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there's this just like, you know, graveyard of discarded vinyl, um, right? It's just like mass, mass vinyl graves um, of, of all of Neil Young's takes. And these are, are the, uh, and these are the ones that are um, imperfect in the most, charming way right they're, they're the most uh pleasantly idiosyncratic uh uh ones um and if so then then he has chosen his artifice well right uh but you know that said that at least you know the way that it was produced you know that you see that that even though there's choice to use the technology then there the process um, then there, then there is a path that you get set on um, that uh, that does impose constraints that uh, that ultimately uh, are similar in some ways to uh, those on All Hail West Texas. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at these these trek lengths, and they can't have been uh, just 144 seconds because, like, yeah, some of these things are like three and a half, four minutes long. Not not unless they yeah, did or two. did they did. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. Do you have two booths, or can you can you switch know. records? I don't know either. I mean, it's probably not worth uh, spending that much time worrying about. Um, I mean, if that, I I wonder what those outtakes look like if they exist, um, because you know there are plenty of little flubs and little rhythmic uh, irregularities and warps and things like this uh, in in the record that that got released you know mm-hmm. um, no, definitely definitely so it's uh, yeah i would love like i like you said i would love to hear the outtakes yeah um well so i mean we, so we've talked a lot about the letterness which is a lot a lot is the uh um the the interface but you know of what the technology is doing and and the ways in which it is um uh, and 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 how that relates to the act of kind of speaking, um, and 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 uh, and kind of this this self overhearing. Um, so let's talk about the the homeness. Yeah, right? that's the second part of the answer to your question. Which now, right. which question will it seems consume the entire uh, <laughs> TFT episode? We should talk about harvest at some point. Don't don't worry. Uh, we're, we are in control of the podcast. <laughs> The um, I mean, my thought about home was like it has to do with with afterlife or heaven or death, you know, the the sort of common fate of all mankind, uh, you know, and and the the um, a lot of the I mean, a lot of the songs seem to seem to be concerned with morbid, uh, morbid things like um. Like uh, uh, needle of death or changes, right? Or um, or the you know, or sort of like an end or a separation. Even in, I mean, I might be pushing the construction a little too far, but even like on the road again. Yep. Uh, or if you could read my mind, which is supposed to, which I knew as a disco song. I you know, I I I learned it. I I got to know that song uh, the first time on the soundtrack of Fifty Four, the Studio Fifty Four mm. movie starring Selma Hayek and Ryan Phillippe and Mike Myers. Um, and uh, any anyway, so so well, this I, is, I, I mean, and I, that this is, that recording was actually for the movie soundtrack, but there was a disco recording. Uh, there was a like a contemporary disco recording, and th- uh, yeah. Oh, go go ahead. I, I think I say uh, this is interesting, right? That um, 
And so uh, in the show notes, we'll put uh, a, um, I, I, another Spotify playlist that has uh, both uh, A Letter Home and Harvest, and also, um, but also has the originals. Um, and, and the originals in this case are generally a version of the song by the person credited as the writer. Um, but I think what's interesting for some of these is that some of these have been um, covered many times and are almost... Uh, I don't know if if any are are standards necessarily, um, and that they're covered by you know many many people. But um, but uh, it's interesting that there are covers of covers, right? So the one that I knew from another place uh, was uh, Reason to Believe, right? Which uh, we uh, which is by. Um, Tim Harden, but the best known version uh, is by Rod Stewart. Right, um, and and there was a Rod Stewart version um, that that he did on MTV Unplugged in the '90s, right when we were um, when when we were in the core you know, in our in peak MTV, or when I was in uh-huh. peak MTV. Uh, so it was it was this really interesting kind of haunting experience where I, I was hearing the Neil Young version of this, and I was like, and I was singing along, and I didn't know why, because uh, uh-huh. it's like I I was like I know you, this. you know what you were doing, you were self overhearing. I was. I was on <laughs> another side. I was also possessed by the song, right? right? That 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 um, it was that there was a a song ghost, huh? I said that I had heard this song. It is a song that I had liked. I had heard. I engaged with um, at various ways, uh, and then hearing it, and again, and then. Um, but then hearing it in this way, you know, in the, you know, most of the songs um, get, you know, Neil Youngified, and and or at least are, are, and there's a lot of different. You know, Neil Young has hit a different modes in his career, um, and uh, but I think that you know that they there's a you know common style of singing and playing on this album in terms of tempo and and. Um, you know, wow, and 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 melody, um, and so it was. It was this like moment of, oh, this is I, oh, this is the Rod Stewart song, um, or I know this, I know the version by Rod Stewart, and so these layers of. Um, uh, these 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 layers of of covering and this kind of sediment of of um, of, of versions of songs, I think creates um, these uh, you know a, a variety of touch points on this. I, I, the Springsteen song was like that for me as well, um, where I was like, wait, I know this, um, but I don't know it. Um, I don't know. I think that I guess this. You know what else? What other? Um, Oh, so what? What I was, I mean, what? Go ahead, go ahead. What I was about to say about about. I'll ask my my follow up question upon question. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, if you could read my mind, like they seem to be that that song. I guess the story of that song is that it's about Gordon Lightfoot's divorce, Um, and so like there seems to be this this preoccupation with with separation, with the end of things, with kind of uh, marker markers of of passage or transition. you know, and and of sort of decline that I think like if this is a letter to home, if this is a letter to, you know, to death, the common destination of us all or to heaven or to some sort of afterlife in which he's he's addressing uh, he's addressing his mother. That's, you know, it it 
it makes sense that these that these things are are sort of meditations, right? They're meditations from the world of the living uh, on the world of death or on the world of of you know de- dead things, de- dead relationships, dead people, dead um, dead ideas or ideals, right? Like. Uh, you know, or or things that have sort of fallen out of favor, like old songs that might be lost forever, or like my friend Al the Weatherman, you know, who uh, who people turn on and reject and turn away from because he's he's given them bad news about the weather, you know. Right, 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 right. Which I feel like also, you know. There, that Neil Young is also the weatherman in a way, right? Uh, that, you know, well, right, yeah. He has he has work to do, right? There is there is kind of like a folk music sort of social consciousness, um, you know, about about this stuff that's not strictly speaking like environmental, but uh, but that definitely like definitely shades in that direction right no exactly and um and i think that uh and and uh, like the other one that does that is the closing track the cover of the everly brothers song um uh-huh. i wonder if i care as much right uh, 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 as i did before uh-huh. um and you know that uh and uh, which also has this kind of suffering and heartbreak and and kind of you know transformation through that process um i think here's a, just an interesting question is you know, we've talked a little bit about cover songs and and inter- and some of the interesting uh, dynamics of um, performance and cover. But this is the first, um, to my recollection, covers album that we have um, that we've discussed. And so, I think there's an interesting question of, you know, how do you what what are the? I mean, we've we've had we've found um, quite a few footholds uh, on this album in part because of the, some of the unique elements of how it was produced, but. What else? Um, what else do you look if if you're doing what we do um, of of kind of using a few different tools and entry points to understand what um, an album is about? Um, you know how how else? What what else is there? Like, do, does one need to approach a cover record in a different way? And I think in particular, like, um, are there tools? To what extent is close reading a useful tool in the context of a cover album um if you want to be talking about the record by neil young which is um you know a collection of songs by a variety of of songwriters right i mean Um, i think that like okay so so a couple of thoughts like one is you know we talked about album we talked about uh record we talked about letter um another uh so a uh you 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 might be familiar or or listeners might be familiar with the word posy to um to describe uh poetry uh or to describe a, a book of poetry like a posy a book of poesy right um posy not not being like poesis the the kind of the greek word for poetry uh it's a word that literally means a flower arrangement uh, like an arrangement of picked or cut flowers right and so this was a a sort of interesting metaphor like my book is a poesy is a is an arrangement of flowers and i think that when you're when you're dealing with a covers record you're dealing with an arrangement of flowers that have been picked that have been found and cut elsewhere that are being brought together and right. and and juxtaposed yeah. and rather than right rather than it just being these are the songs these are the songs that i've written that are thematically related that are around my concerns at this time uh 
or like uh, or that just happened to have been composed around the same time. These are the these are the songs that I've that I've gone out to find uh, right. around a particular theme. Right. It's so an act of to... it's an act of curation, and there exactly. is also uh, right. So it's like, hey, Neil Young made me a mixtape. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> and so I think you have to engage. I mean, I think that you you I think that close reading is still a useful tool, but you have to kind of widen. You have to close read several things at the same time. Right. That is to say, we're talking more about relationships between songs and the concerns of songs and the the uh, individual techniques, musical and lyrical uh, of songs, rather than um, rather than being rather than talking about uh, rather than talking about these things in isolation as sort of new as sort of new objects. We're we're you know they're they're found objects, right? And they're found and juxtaposed. Uh, with one another. So like what, you know, um, I was in high, I was in, I took photo in high school and, uh, one of my classmates would like ride around in the back of a car and snap street scenes and would do these like, you know, on very high speed film, uh, and the the teacher was always sort of um, trying to sharpen the impulse to to think critically about well what made you click the shutter right at that moment right like mm-hmm. what made you pick this image out of all the images that were whirring by what about it happened in what was the impulse that made you like make this picture as opposed to all the other pictures you can make and I think that that's a question you have to ask about you have to sort of interrogate a covers album for like why out out of all the songs and there are many right like. Like, there are lots of songs, right? You know, and, why? And, and like uh, as we said, actually, when discussing um, uh, uh, an episode of Glee ages ago, or as I believe actually Jordan said, uh, you know, uh, Neil Young knows all the songs, right? <laughs> right? He knows all the songs, so he has chosen the twelve that he really wants, or the the eleven, I guess, that he wants. Yeah, yeah, the eleven plus one vocal plus one vocal track plus a other vocal vocal interludes right like and like that vocal interlude by the way like hey we've rediscovered all the songs i used to play you know like that's that's a a gesture of self-overhearing like like gosh what what an exciting enterprise i find myself engaged in without any premeditation whatsoever right well and and especially i mean and if like if this, you know, then Neil Young is also asking us to be- believe, actually, that uh, he knows somebody who has traveled uh, traveled forward in time to um, when Springsteen re- was recording um, My Hometown in the 80s uh, for Born in the USA. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, it's kind of an inverse uh, Johnny B. Good situation. Uh-huh. Say, hey, Neil, hey, hey, Neil, here's that new, new sound that you're looking for. Right. <laughs> it was actually, it was Jack white right it was like jack white like here's the thing the voice matic is actually a time machine yeah or, or uh, like next to the phone bo- right yeah. it's a it's a it's an artisanal tardis <laughs> <laughs> it's or next to it he has the bill and ted's phone booth right, right next exactly. to the voice yeah, 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 phone yeah. booth. yeah exactly um Yes. Uh, so I've I've lost I've lost track well, of no, where no, we I are. Think that, and we can and we can maybe circle back to this. But actually, this this idea 
um of of talking about the the collection and the and the um uh the the culling of songs and, and, and making an arrangement um i think is actually a decent place to uh to pivot and it's really our last pivot chance um so, so i think that what what it makes me think of in this idea of the collection of flowers um is uh is that you know um in fact actually um has some amount of har- harmony with the title of the other uh, album that we're uh, uh planning to discuss which is harvest right, right? so yeah, yeah. let's start in the same way um what uh w- w- what is harvest in what what is harvest and is it is it a noun is it a verb yeah, and, yeah exactly is it hey you harvest hard harvest, harvest, harvest. Point. <laughs> or is it yeah i mean or is it that this al- this album is is a harvest like what what strikes me i mean cuz these are there's a lot of like social message songs uh on this uh on this record as well right like and and what strikes me with this sort of and another needle song as well yeah sure right like this this is the harvest of of what we've planted right and like whether it's you know what these are the 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 sort of fruits <laughs> or vegetables these are the crops this is what has has grown from the social currents you know um that that he's talking about. I mean, I think it. A so this lot of is it, a seventies a seventies um, uh, harvest of what was planted in the of seeds that were planted in the sixties. Yeah, I mean, I think so, especially with like some of the the you know sixties is being associated with summer of love and hippies and 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 that a sort of movement of free love and like drug experimentation and stuff like that right like uh the harvest is that i've seen the needle and the damage done right like um of you know the breakdown of of traditional social roles in the family and whatnot uh the harvest is yeah, a, man, a, a man needs a maid that's it right like someone to to keep my house clean fix my meals and go away right like um you know the 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 harvest of of authenticity is uh i uh keep me searching for a heart of gold you know right um so a lot of this, you know, a, uh, a lot of this stuff is like, you know, Neil Young, the weatherman, <laughs> right? right, saying that clouds are gathering or saying that uh, or saying that that rather I mean, it's less the weatherman and more like the weather on the ground or the weather that's coming up from the ground, right. you know, right. saying that right. that there is a harvest uh, that we are reaping a harvest, uh, a bitter harvest or a harvest of, of what we've sown uh, that might that that when we were sowing, we might not have intended. Yeah, I think that that's right. I mean, I think that, and even just, there's like a lot of, there are also themes about, um, uh, there's a lot about transformation uh, here uh, in, uh, of, um, you know, of, of getting, getting the pickup truck and going down to LA, right. Uh, or, um, you know, old man, you know, old man, take a look at your life. Right. And, and these, these, you know, again, juxtaposition, so juxtaposing old and new, um, or, or, um, or, uh, you know, the country and implicitly non-country or city, right? That are you ready for the country? Mm-hmm. Um, because it's time to go, right? And so we are going somewhere. Um, and, and so that it's, yeah, like you say, that there's, there are storms 
um, there are storms brewing. Um, and so I think that this is also, there's also a little bit of, I mean, right, that, you know, Neil Young was in his, what, early early to mid-20s when he was writing this. Um, and there is a little bit of, in addition to, you know, so he was he was very young when he was, you know, really making his, um, and maybe, maybe I'm misspeaking, maybe he was a little older. Um, but No, uh, he was, I mean, like, I, old man refers to, like, 24 and there's so much more. Uh, I, right. He was older when it was released, but I, I think when this song was composed, he was actually yeah. 24. And right, which of, is amazing, though, because then when he was with, like, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, or with Bru- Buffalo uh, Springfield, I mean, he was a, he was an effing, he was, a, he himself was an effing teenager. Right. Right, like, old man, take a look at yourself. You were once a tween. Uh <laughs> 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 um, and, and and I think that that's like I, I think that part of what's fun about dealing with these records um, uh, together, right? Is that you know that this is like I I can't I can't wait for for Lord's Harvest, right? Um, because like you know Lord already at like you know writing songs at sixteen, you know fifteen, sixteen, seventeen is you know is, is writing about getting old, right? Uh, and Frankie Cosmos talking about um, you know that you know uh, about about her birthday and about about ages, about age and, and and it being a number. And so I think it's interesting, you know. Hearing... Don't you think though, from a certain point of view, it's actually more consequential when you're younger? like those you know because a you're developing faster and b like a, yeah, each year is a bigger proportion of the amount of time that you have lived yeah exactly right? <laughs> and that decreases that decreases as you as you with every passing year that decreases yeah that is that is interesting um but i, I would say what what it, what's what's very cool about this is that i mean i think that you know you have like a little bit you know neil young is older that you know this is not um tween tween neil young right this is uh but but what's interesting is this still um in the scope of things uh you know and you know there were people in 1972 who would say oh that youngster neil young right um but already you know the the summer of love has come and gone and and uh, you know he was you know he played um at woodstock with um with crosby stills uh, nash and himself um csny and um and and was you know what would have been um would have would have would have been also around you know early twenties um uh at that at that time and so is uh, you, you get a sense of like I'm getting too old for this shit um and con- contrast that with I still have work to do right uh and and I think that that's really I think that the idea the idea of getting old and I so I think that there's this um I think what's what's cool about putting these together is that there's this intertemporal self overhearing right that um and and that um that hearing um um, young Neil, young Neil Young, and old Neil Young um, in dialogue with each other, kind of implicitly, um, I, uh, is really interesting. And I think that you know, I mean, Neil Young has been is tremendously prolific, but I think that um, a letter home in the way that it's explicitly kind of you know is really treating the voiceomatic as um, as a artisanal TARDIS. Uh, is in some ways engaging in some uh, uh, different versions of this. Times are changing, um, and and storms are growing. It's time to reap what we have sown. Um, in that, you know, 
rather than that is saying uh, it's time to gather it and here let me put it in a vase for you Um, uh, that that, in fact uh, the harvest came and I found some really nice daisies Um, or and and, then they're not all great but like like let's like you know talk to daddy Uh, talk talk to daddy Um, that's an interesting I mean that's an interesting aspect of it also I think you should talk to daddy now now that you're now that you're together Right. Uh, but uh, what were you about to ask? Oh, I was going to say, um, so um, I, uh, what else uh, of a uh, on Harvest, like what songs, were there any one song that really stuck, uh, stuck, like hit you either lyrically or sonically as like the real kind of core of it as, as the, um, you know, as a strong, as a strong moment? Um that uh, that I think that especially as we're now pivoting back to our historical quarter, um, were there any things that contrasted in interesting ways uh, with uh, where we were in our um, f- first couple early seventies records? Our characters, yeah, I mean, our so the- wonders, uh, or that kind of fit in that um, in in a, in a thread or as or another dot in a in a line. The thing that I mean, the thing that that. Um- was really interesting. One thing that was really interesting to me as you, you know, you listen to out on the weekend, you listen to Har- harvest, which are sort of folk rock songs. Right. And then, and then you get to man needs a maid and suddenly there's an orchestra in the, uh, uh, in the arrangement, you know, and, and this, this struck me as sort of a sonic, sonic departure, um, from, uh, from what, what has happened before. And I mean, what it does, uh, I don't know what it does is sort of zoom out um a little bit right uh it kind of goes widescreen right the the and maybe it's just the orchestra the the association of or uh, orchestra music orchestral music and um uh cinema right like film scores right. uh that that does it for me but like it it gives a sense of sort of moment and of, of kind of sweep to, uh, to the song that, um, that contrasts, that sort of makes, uh, Neil Young's voice, which is kind of thin and reedy. Not, not, mm-hmm. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean like that, that where he's, he's a, he has a heck of a falsetto. It's yeah, a super, he's a, it's a really distinctive voice. Yeah. And, and used to, used to great effect. I mean, it's one of the, it's one of the awesome things about him. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that, um, uh, it's, um, uh, that it it sets it off right, like just by being so full and lush, it it right. it puts his voice into into sharp relief on the recording. Um, well, the other one that does this is uh, "There's a World," um, and "There's a World." Talk about you know a, another um, give me a reason to believe moment for me uh, is the uh, orchestral um, introduction to "There's a World." Uh-huh. Uh, I had this moment again of being possessed by a song ghost, but this was a song ghost. Uh, uh, not the of future. Rod Stewart, but of Nelly, <laughs> right? So that um, that hot and yeah, hot and, so hot and her is <laughs> so hot in this world. All of God's children uh, must take off their clothes, <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, but it's it's it, and, and I think that that is. I mean, 
I, you know, uh, there are many kind of ways in which uh, Harvest is this uh, amazing achievement, um, and we haven't really even talked about the needle and the damage done, um, or or Alabama. You know, two of the more socially conscious uh, songs, um, and we may not get to talk about them. But you know, just the, I feel like the the thing that cements this as a towering achievement for me is that. Um, you know, and and maybe this is. I feel I feel like there's equal parts credit to Neil Young for putting this on record, and then for Pharrell Williams who produced Hot in Here for being a huge fan of this album. Obviously, I mean, he probably listens. He pro- Pharrell probably listens to Harvest in his big hat. In fact, his hat when you lift Pharrell's hat up off of his head, it plays. Uh, it plays. It's just like uh, like songs from Harvest come out. Uh, I'm almost certain. So like Harvest lives in Pharrell's hat. Um, and so it's just amazing that, you know, this is kind of a deeper cut, uh, on this album. Um, you know, it's not one of the jams and yet was tied to this, you know, massive, um, hip hop song. And it was a, that was a, you know, a massive, um, uh, a massive single. Um, and that, that, um, also expands in this cinematic scope and even says, you know, that there's a world you're living in and no one else has your part. Um, and, and so I think that there's a lot of here of, you're a uh, hero many years ago go a prophecy foretold that there would be only one of you you special fellow you yeah exactly it's, it's, uh, he didn't know it harvest, he was, it's the harvester's journey right he was yeah exactly right he didn't know it he was singing it to jack white uh who hadn't <laughs> been born yet yeah well exactly exactly I, I mean maybe there really is this like but maybe it's like a loop maybe jack white and neil younger this like looper scenario <laughs> um and then they are they're like in some kind of uh, complicated time loop with one another all right a time travel uh thing and because i i imagine somewhere at third man laboratories jack white is almost certainly working on a steampunk time machine um it, it will be his greatest right it's like you you pedal like a bicycle uh or something like that and then and then you can go um to the most analog of places yeah let's talk about needle and the damage done a little a little bit because it it would be a shame not to uh not to get into it right like and the interesting um the the interesting thing uh, uh the the interesting thing about it to me is like um is in the is in the very end is the last line right like every junkie's like a setting sun you know yeah. which which um is a, a really great lyric that that uh kind of brings up an idea of inevitability of of like a process that that sort of plays itself out over and over um which i think talks to the kind of the narrator of the song or this this the speaker the persona of the songs um uh hopelessness right, right. um and, but but that also also like it doesn't soft pedal of the really uncomfortable aspect of the kind of beauty uh of yeah. the like uh the kind of beauty in the decrepitude and the beauty in the suffering and the beauty that, that can be, I mean, and it's all, you have to ignore a lot, right? Like to see, you know, I don't know if you, if anyone and, and sad to say like in, in today's world, almost all of us have or do. If you've, if you've known someone who has sort of suffered from heroin addiction specifically, it's awful. And uh, it's not particularly beautiful, but like, if you're a musician, 
transition, you know, and you're sort of in the prime of your life while you're suffering from this. And so you're sort of uh, having these exalted experiences on the drug and producing, uh, producing great music like a lot of Neil Young's contemporaries were who, who died of their drug addictions or of heroin overdose, right? Like um, the... Uh, uh, the, the idea that it's sort of while you're suffering, while they're suffering, that there is, there is some kind of radiant beauty. There's some kind of like, uh, incredible, um, incredible thing to witness in that sun sort of setting and sending off, uh, you know, incredible colors and kind of a, a, a bittersweet, bitter, but also sweet feeling uh, as it goes away. Well, I, and I see that, I mean, that's, I, I kind of see that image on the, um, on the album art, right. That, um, I, what, how I kind of read the album cover is this setting sun, right. This orb. Um, it also looks like a, the yolk of a cage free egg. Um, <laughs> uh, in, in that in that rich kind of orangey yellow, yeah. um, but I kind of see a, um, a a setting sun there. I think, and just to actually highlight a third um, facet of this, which you alluded to, um, is you know the other thing about a setting sun is its you know universality and the relatability, and that and that. You know, everyone sees the sunset. The sun sets on everyone, right? Every day, uh, and so you uh, see the sunset every day, or see the effects of it of 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 the sky changing color becoming orange. Um, and so that, um, you know, the other piece of that, right? Um, you know, again, like there's a little there's a little part of it in everyone. Um, it also indicates that a there is you know everyone is either touched by this or has this um, you know has has the this attraction towards us right so there's this interesting nexus of the of the of of sadness um sadness beauty and kind of connection and commonality uh there uh and that in some ways that also also connects to the weather right that the weather affects everyone um and so the, there's these interesting engagement um in and with you know what is natural, what is natural, and what is human um, that connects uh, both of these records yeah. in, in interesting ways. Um, and so I think that that, uh, yeah, I think that's what makes them very interesting documents to um, examine together. Man, all right, that is every hey, every podcast is like a setting sun. Yeah, it's, right. It's it's beautiful and it's kind of tragic. Um, so this is uh, this is Neil Young and and. Uh, t- definitely like you know i i really like these records and it was great to revisit it was great to revisit harvest and goofy though it is uh, there's a lot that's really good uh, about a letter home though that's but if the kind you, of if you love a letter home you know and and you love your jack white produce and you love giving jack white your hard-earned money um and and, and you you liked your special edition of lazaretta you can fork out a hundred nine dollars for the um special limited box edition of a letter home that uh, includes one standard 12 uh, inch LP vinyl, one direct feed from the booth audiophile 12 inch LP vinyl, seven six inch clear vinyl discs, one standard CD, one DVD, uh, one 32 page uh, book, and a download card to redeem the digital album of the direct feed from the booth audiophile version. I mean, that freaking jerk didn't think to include uh, a cassette tape. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not buying it because that's my medium of choice right yeah absolutely it's it's Uh, a lot more it's a lot more authentic you know yeah 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so but, but you know, I joke, but we'll, we'll put the link in the in the show notes um, uh, for both that version and the uh, standard edition, uh, which is thirteen ninety nine. Uh, and 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 it is interesting. I mean, maybe you'll listen to it on your record player or on uh, on your Pano music player, right? We and we're not going to um, you know rev back up and do another half hour on uh, Neil Young's uh, extracurriculars, but he is you know. Uh, has been a crusader for uh, audiophile um, sound and and music and and finding ways to make this portable. Um, and so the Pano is the um, in part Kickstarter supported uh, music player that will play uh, and store. Uh, high quality uh, lossless um, uh, music, uh, so the audio files can uh, uh, walk around and hear music uh, as it as it is intended. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and definitely the best way, the best joke you can play on everyone is to listen to a letter home on the Pano, yep. uh, so that you really like feel like you are inside that voiceograph uh, or inside Neil Young's head. Maybe maybe there are vinyl pops. Maybe like N- Neil Young just. Ex- experiences the world in like pops and hiss of of vinyl and then so this really is you know like like t-pain with autotune uh that that the um the that the the voiceograph really is his own voice uh and uh as as he perceives it uh and not just an outmoded version of that Hmm. um let's uh all right let's um Let's leave it there. And and uh, if you want to uh, tell us about a letter home or tell us about Harvest, you can find us in all the usual uh, social media spots. The Prime Two being Twitter, where we are at TFT Podcast, and uh, in the show notes, in the comments section on the show notes, um, hit us up on Twitter and let us know what you're thinking. Uh, uh, what you're thinking about now that we're back um, back uh, historically. I mean, we kind of have an agenda that uh, with some things that we want to hit, but we'd also we've we've been benefited from from the suggestions of of listeners uh and uh we had an idea last week for twitter that um that we'd like uh, everyone to do so if you don't follow us on twitter follow us on twitter it's it's at tft podcast if you like the show you'll like the things that that we post on twitter because you know we you know us you know what our concerns are and as uh, as we sort of retweet things that bear on those concerns from around the uh uh from around the um, Twitter sphere, we uh, we create a rich, um, you know, racy and discour around uh, uh, around our central concerns. But um, uh, inspired by a couple of concerts, live shows that Ryan and I have been to, where we posted field notes, you know, live from the the uh, the music, the the front row of of the live from the pit, right? In in several cases, uh, we wanted to to throw this out to anyone who wants to. Um, um, tell us about uh, anyone who wants to do this. Tell us about a concert that you are at on Twitter. So when you go to a concert, uh, you take pictures or you might have observations about what's going on. Um, tweet that at us. Uh, use the hashtag field notes and include at TFT podcast. And uh, if we get a lot of them, uh, we'll filter a little bit, but we will uh, we'll retweet that um, and sort of create a, a bit of a, a community discourse around the live shows and the music that we are all uh, seeing and enjoying. I thought that was a neat idea. Uh, what do you think, Ryan? I think it's, a, I, I, I agree. I mean, I've, I've enjoyed doing it and it's, yeah, um, I mean, and you know, don't, don't do it. And this is, you know, as with any, um, 
you know, practice of, of ethnography, you want to, on the one hand, be present um, and observe, uh, and and so don't use this as a, as a, an excuse to um, do the phone rather than the concert. Um, but uh, as you are there and as you are seeing things and hearing things um, that are interesting, either um, you know, again, Twitter is good for this because it's only 140 characters. Um, but then also, even you know, and we've talked about this before. In, in uh, ethnographic practice, um, that there's a practice of making jottings. You can make a little note uh, of a of a moment or a thing that is interesting, and then write the field notes uh, at home, um, or take pictures and then compose uh, the tweet. Um, and so, find what works for you is a matter of um, immersion and engagement and participation, and um, stepping away uh, and 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 uh, seeing what's interesting. And I know uh, actually. Um, uh, a few other listeners and uh, friends of the podcast have joined in. I know Tim Swan um, also uh, live tweeted some uh, field notes from uh, from a show that he attended. Uh, so it's a it's a thing. It's a thing that we're doing. Um, and if you don't go to concerts, support live music. Find something, uh, even if it's uh, none of, none of the artists that we've discussed. Uh, let us know what you are seeing live. Um, and uh, and and. Uh, and that will be become part of um, our our community of practice. Excellent. Um, all right, we will be back next week with another uh, album in our uh, newly inaugurated historical quarter of the TFT podcast. Until then, Ryan, listeners, everybody, it's been real.